Hello and welcome to the latest EM Insider with me, Chris Slowly. As always, I'm joined by Raphael Cassin. How are you doing, Raphael? Hi, Chris. Happy Thanksgiving. Man. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we're recording this the day after Thanksgiving, the Black Friday. So, but it seems like the the concept of Black Friday now lasts for months and months here, even though we don't actually have it in England. I could do a cheesy thing and ask where you're looking for bargains in the market, but I think we'll move for something else for the moment. We're gonna, let's talk with start with where we were after the US election, because that's what we talked about last time. What does that mean for the emerging world? What are the positives? What are the negatives? Yeah, well, look, we talk, uh, we talked last month on the 21st of October, and uh, we were discussing the prospects of U.S. elections vis-à-vis uh, -vis the market. Um, and I, I would say that the elections have come and gone, and, and we're getting sorted soon, uh, it looks like. Um, the performance within the emerging sub-indices has been positive since then. Uh, we've had a good month. Uh, when we last spoke, we, uh, hard, uh, hard currency debt was up by about 1%. Now it's up by about 4 um, Corporates were up by about 35 They're up by about 6 now. Uh, and locals, unfortunately, are still negative. They were down about 3 to 4% last time, but they're down about 1% now. Uh, what, what I do see as, uh, as an obvious, uh, 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 as obvious here is that uh, local currency still isn't looking very good. It looks like the year might be either flat or negative uh, unless a miracle happens. And I don't see a weak dollar doing much to that because we're having uh, global more monetary weakness. So, so there's no great appetite to go into the Brazilian real at the moment um, unless they decide to hike rates, which probably will be something for next year. Um, but, uh, but I also see that the hard currency sovereign and corporate markets are moving in parallel. Uh, the corporates have been doing better uh, this year. Uh, that wasn't the case uh, in the in the in the last few many years. Uh, so I would say that that's that's been good. But it, it confirms that if you want to have an allocation, it's worthwhile to to somehow split into the two. Uh, so from a performance point of view, things are looking good. And and I would say that risk appetite is out there. Um, you can see that the, by, by performance in U.S. equities. Um, I, I, I continue to think it's Goldilocks all over again. So clearly, uh, corporates, hard currency sovereigns and corporates have been running parallel this year uh, as opposed to the last few years uh, where sovereigns have not only done better but, but much better. Um, I think this year the, the role has reversed and, and that supports a view that it probably makes sense to have a, an allocation that covers both uh, sub-indices sub within your allocations. Um, but we are essentially back in the risk appetite mode. Uh, U.S. equity markets are all doing really well. Uh, I think it's Goldilocks all over again. I don't think, you know, there are a couple guys talking about inflation again, but I think I haven't noticed inflation in my pocket for the last many years. Uh, I, I only see lower prices in everything that I do. Uh, and I do see weaker GDPs, especially now we're having an additional lockdown uh, in a few countries. So this year we're going to end up negative in probably every country. Uh, but, but I would still say that, that, that risk continues because you know go, it's Goldilocks. You have basically central bank helicopter money, uh, and that's good for bonds that are yielding 8 9%. So I'm, I'm pretty positive there. By the way, just as a last comment on that, you can see the reaction of the market vis-a-vis uh, -vis risk uh, with oil, in oil, right? Oil markets have gone up quite nicely. Uh, 
Uh, and so I think that, that that supports the view that that we will see uh, uh, decent decent risk appetite in, in the future. Where are the positives from that then? So if we drill down further into it, what either regions or sectors do you think are going to do particularly well? Because as we spoke about last time, there are a lot of challenged areas. We've seen a lot of people still going through restructuring. We've seen a lot of markets try and do that in different ways. But where would you be allocating and where are you allocating? Well, I like I like Africa, okay, except for the the, the recent uh, stumble that Zambia has gone through. Bonds are still lower than where I sold mine, so thank God for that. Uh, and I don't I'm not sure how that's going to turn out, but I think Nigeria has low debt to GDP. They have oil. Oil's been going up. Um, I like Ghana, and, and I think that if we look at developed versus uh, emerging markets. Over the last and during the, the cycle of the virus, emerging most emerging countries could not afford to shut down, right? Well, I have lots of people here in London who are going to parks and and doing meetings over the phone and sometimes not doing meetings, right? Uh, people in 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 Africa need to work, uh, otherwise they don't put food on the table. So I think that these countries will show as a surprise positives uh, out of this. So I'm I'm not a total believer that we're going to see. Uh, Africa suffering. I think it would be the opposite. It feels hard, but we always do end up talking about Latin America and we talk about the challenges there. And we were talking just before we started, there's some Brazilian elections coming up. What does that mean for Brazil? Where is Brazil at the moment? Well, we've been having some elections for mayor. Uh, and in Sao Paulo, uh, the guy who used to be the head of the, they call the MST, which is the 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 group that goes, that tries to get uh, land from landowners, uh, he is now on a runoff, and we don't know how that's going to turn out. Uh, but that is not good, okay? Because he is—he's—it's not just left; he's radical, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, so if this guy becomes mayor, it's—it's it's bad news, especially you know in São Paulo, which is the—you know—it's—it's it's probably about fifty percent of Brazilian GDP. Uh, and uh, in Rio, we are having another funny character showing up. Uh, a guy called Eduardo Paes, who had been linked to to the car wash investigation, and and there had been proof there had been proof that he was uh, doing something illegal. Uh, plus, he once punched somebody in a restaurant because the guy complained about him or criticized him. Uh, well, this guy now is looking really good in the polls. So, I mean, it's Rio. Rio was 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 people hoped that Rio would get out of the hole. But it's not, uh, and and with this guy, it's not going to come out of the hole. You know, th- there's a story in Brazil about politicians that they become politicians to get elected, and then when they get elected, uh, obviously, you know, uh, but once they get elected, they they have it all rigged so they get a percentage of whatever business they do for the government. Um, so then you look at Bolsonaro; he's not really building too many bridges. Uh, he's quite radical himself, and I mean, it's he's. You know, it's it's going to be a little bit complicated. Uh, Brazil, Brazil's debt level is nearing 100% uh, debt to GDP. Uh, the only positive, constructive thing that the, the finance minister has done so far uh, is to come up with the with one reform uh, last year, but he hasn't tackled the important one, which is the tax reform. And he doesn't have enough political support in order to do it. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, if I told you that I was putting a guy who had a PhD from Chicago uh, as finance minister, you would say, great. You know, like, Amino Fraga was an interesting guy. He came over, he rolled up his sleeves, and he did what needed to be done in order to raise money in those days and in order to build a nice, a nice uh, amount of, of reserves. Um, but this guy isn't doing it. Right, so what that's going to lead to, I believe, eventually, is is just worsening all the public finance numbers, and well, you know, you know where that leads to, right? So I, I would I would say Brazil continues messy, and I would say Argentina, not to not to play with the the name, uh, is uh, is also not looking really good because the central government has pushed very hard for the provinces to to seek restructurings. Now, the problem is that the restructurings are, are the, the provinces are looking for ridiculously worse deals for investors than the government got. So un, until that gets sorted, they don't get any financing. Investors don't go into Argentina. Uh, I read something interesting the other day about the Argentine finance minister uh, hoping that he would get uh, uh, a new, new financing from the fund or new disbursements from the IMF. Now this is this is a government that came into power claiming that the Macri government had borrowed too much from the IMF and they wanted to distance themselves from the IMF. Well, now they're coming back to the IMF. So, so I think, yeah, I, I don't like the two countries too much. So there was a really interesting piece in the Economist last week where they talked about refinancing and they talked about the idea. And this was put forward by HBK Capital, the idea of bendy bonds. I don't know if you've come across this. This idea of I'll, I'll quote from it. Um, in most cases, they would behave like ordinary bonds, but in a crisis, the issuer could extend the maturity and defer interest for a couple of years in return for paying additional interest at the end of a bond's life. Is this just getting too complicated? Two years is, is a long time. Uh, and, and probably if, if you did something like Ecuador, in which you, you halted payments for a few months until you could discuss the restructuring, I think that that's palatable. Uh, remember, a lot of people buy these bonds so that they can get carry. If countries all of a sudden decide to go on a spree of not having to pay for a couple of years, uh, I think investors will probably shun that. And and I would say especially because we have no guarantee that these countries are in such dire need and that the money won't be spent in some other kind of nice projects that, you know, or corruption. So I, I, I don't think it's a great idea to to follow through now with. Okay, no, that makes sense. Uh, one area that is coming under increased focus and is something we have talked about a bit as well as Turkey. So it's had a quite tumultuous year. It's had a lot of change. Erdogan's power base seems to have shifted, but where is Turkey now? Well, this is interesting. The Turkish leader hit, you know, crazy levels above eight. Uh, now it's hovering a little bit below eight. Uh, probably it's reached a stability level for now. It, it reminds me a lot of the Brazilian Real uh, Erdogan obviously had a problem because he was fighting the market. Uh, he changed his, his team uh, on the finance side, and I think that the market is giving him a chance to to prove that uh, that that's going to be for real. Uh, you know, markets markets speak louder than than anything, right? So uh, I think we'll have to see. Uh, I, I I never thought that Turkey would default, but I think. I go back to my theory that the adjustment process with a lot of these emerging countries will happen through foreign exchange. So, so again, you know, they will probably pay the debt 
they might delay a, a couple months and if that that becomes an issue but but I think that they will uh, that the currencies will continue weakish if that's the right term you know no that makes sense um, it's going to be interesting I mean it's hard to tell what anything is going to really do towards the end of the year in a in a complete or concrete way just because there's so many things still up in the air I mean Biden is still waiting to come into power it's interesting to see how he'll do it we've got the vaccine still circulating we've got we've also talked about this both being based in England we've still got Brexit to contend with and the potential knock-on effects for Europe and the and fringe Europe I guess how much is that on your radar and how much should it be on the radar of um, emerging market investors really yeah well I, I think personally I think Brexit is going to be okay for the UK uh, I think Europe is is living uh, a much more complex uh, moment uh, with all of the lockdowns. I mean, we are we are also doing that here in the UK, but things things are are working. Um, I th I think they depend on this situation a lot more. Um, I don't think there will be a huge effect on EM, but that is another one of the big events that will be out of the way at the turn of the year, probably, and. And once that's done with, you know, it's the, it's you know, it, you, we're back in business, right? We we have no no obstacles on the road. So I'm I'm thinking, yeah, the vaccine is the one that will will contribute a lot to risk appetite. Uh, I have a couple of funny friends, you know, they they follow all kinds of exotic uh, uh, medical reports, and they're now talking about conspiracy theories about whether. The first uh, vaccination is important or not, and then the second one. And will people take the second one if the first one doesn't work? Um, and you know, will will the the Oxford vaccine really work? Uh, so I think, look, let's let's try to step back a bit. When we started to look at this, most people thought that the vaccine a vaccine would be available sometime by the middle or end of next year. Now we are in December virtually, and we are thinking that within the first quarter we can have a vaccine. Um, I think as long as this second wave is managed properly, uh, people will have learned to deal with this in the short run. So I guess as long as we don't go too far beyond that, uh, we will still we will still have enough uh, risk appetite. Now this this again contributes. To my to my emerging market Goldilocks theory, right? If we continue to have weak numbers and the emerging countries don't suffer that badly and interest rates continue low, uh, well, you know, it's a no-brainer to put your money in a country that will pay, but uh, you know, will pay a lot more. But you have to be selective. I think you ha you had a chat with uh, Hassan Stab and and or and a couple of others, and they were totally correct. Uh, what you've got to do now is pick your countries smartly so you don't pick the wrong ones. And once that's done, uh, you will easily outperform. I mean, there's no way to, to not outperform, you know, unless you hit a pothole. There lies the challenge. As always, Raphael, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for speaking to me today. Yeah, Chris, thank you very much too. It's been fun. And well, have a, I hope everybody has a, a very nice year end, lockdown or not. And, you know, it's, we'll, we'll go for, for 2021 soon. Fantastic. Let's get ready. Absolutely. More to come. Thank you very much, Raphael.